So actually, here's a good one. Yeah, yeah, okay. Like Newton was the Da, and then Einstein was the guy who figured out the crazy cool thing that no one could do yet. And then like so Elon Musk Einstein is, was Skrillex. Yeah, he's Skrillex. <laughs> Elon Musk is Skrillex. That's exactly what happened. Wait, Elon Musk is Skrillex or Einstein is Skrillex? Welcome to the Mr. Bill Podcast. I'm Anand Harsh, Editor-in-Chief of the Unst.com and Bill's immigration lawyer. I wish this was a joke, but most days it does not feel like it. Bill's guest this week is Stephen O'Leary, but you know him as Seamless. He's a world-class YouTuber with all sorts of viral tutorials and such, mostly centered around FL Studio. He's been a part of Collab Alliance with Bill, so they've worked together on a few things, and they love talking electronic music production esoterica. So strap it down, nerds. Please rate and review this podcast on whichever podcatcher you're using. It really helps people find the show and join the Patreon to get early access to episodes, bonus content, and full video of every podcast from here on out. You can see Beardy Man's live rig, watch Bill pass out, and much, much more. Mr. Bill's new tune, Ride or Die, featuring Mandy, is out now on Mousetrap as part of the We Are Friends Volume 10 compilation. It's a massive comp with Dead Mouse, Atlas, Zonderling, Tommy Trash, Pig and Dan, Wolfgang Gartner, and more. Go stream that bad boy. And here's something novel, a show announcement. Mr. Bill's Red Rocks date as part of Wobble Rocks with Ganja White Knight has been rescheduled for November. Fingers crossed it happens this time. Finally, head over to MrBillsTunes.com to sign up to become a hardcore Abletoneer. Bill just added a new feed of micro-tutorials and other fun shit that pops into his mind, and you can check it all out on the HCA feed. All right, enjoy Bill's chat with Seamless. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you are listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're 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 listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Well, yeah, man. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. What was happening with your audio? You just had to restart your computer. Uh, first, uh, Zoom wanted the wrong microphone, and then I changed the microphone, and then I didn't want to believe that I changed the microphone, so I had to restart it. <laughs> nice, <clears throat> classic Zoom shit. I find you you're a Windows user, right? Yeah, yeah. I find Windows stuff is always kind of fucky with like that kind of stuff right like the the drivers or something don't seem as good as core audio on mac that's uh been my experience yeah uh windows they don't really they have they have what you know the tools that they would prefer people use people people will make their own adjustments to kind of everything and windows lets them yeah that might be the problem is like they make it too easy for people to make their own adjustments and therefore you don't have like this one sort of uh, central place making all these good decisions instead you have a bunch of people all over the place making their own decisions and then getting everything to work together is like pain in the ass yeah like just now making all that work was my interfaces drivers zoom interface firefox's idea of my driver's interface like <laughs> that all that stuff all overlapping and disagreeing a little are you using firefox for zoom instead of the zoom app 
I'm using the zoom app, but just to get the link, I had to go to it from the Firefox, and that's where it got my settings for mics and stuff, and it wasn't right. <laughs> oh, interesting. I never really thought about that. So if you open a link from a web browser that opens an app, it takes your settings from the browser to said app? Ideally, yeah, because that would have been the OS's settings, but if it's not, or if it was, because the, the Zoom asks, it's like you can use your computer audio or you can use whatever and or not and that's why i was like when i was floundering around or earlier we couldn't hear each other i was like where is any of zoom's settings and it's just there's after the fact there are none it's it's the pixel set configuration to go on and if it works it does if it doesn't you gotta start it again <laughs> the classic shit ah oh, cool man well yeah how's Keeps the blood moving <laughs> <laughs> yeah how's how's things it's good to get you on you're the other um the other big tutorial YouTube guy. Although, like, I remember there was, like, a point in my career of doing tutorials where a bunch of people were like, man, have you seen this seamless guy? He, like, makes all these sounds with Hama that's, like, you know, he recreates all these noisier basses. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, most of most of me doing the stuff, too, I mostly hear people talking about you pretty much being this, but for on the Ableton side of things for primarily your way mm. and uh like pretty much whenever anyone ever asked me about questions about that i would send them right to you i'd be like well who who knows ableton and that's you're the, you're the one i thought of nice have you ever used ableton i have tried i think twice <clears throat> nice what was the precursor to trying um, it got it in my head once that it would it would just be a good idea and uh on then again, after that, a student suggested that I try to get like a teacher license mm. and uh, see if that like applied to me. But um, that like was a, kind of a no-go, but I did actually try to use the software again at the time. I was like, well, I might as well reacquaint uh, right. as though I had acquaintance. I don't actually, I'm not that familiar. <laughs> <laughs> like you were trying to become a Ableton certified trainer, you mean? Yeah, that was, I guess that would have been the idea if I, if I thought it was uh, a good idea to go forward and actually learn the software, which I probably still should do. I should probably learn as much as I can about every piece of software. Uh, I think I Ableton my... is a good piece of software to learn if you're uh, trying to collaborate a lot. Because yeah. it seems like, I don't know, do you think more people use Ableton or Fruity? I think in terms of raw numbers, uh, Fruity might win out, but I do. What's interesting is that I, I, I have the perception of Ableton as being bigger. I, it feels like it's the one that <clears throat> of the people that talk about production, people who are more likely to be collaborative, it does seem like they like to use Ableton more. Huh. And what, what makes you think that Fruity wins out with raw numbers? Um, just stats. Uh, I don't have uh, uh, that's FL forum alpha stuff, so I can't really talk about specifics, but I also haven't looked in a long time, so I don't know anything about it like now for all I know Ableton could have went out. But for a time, there was just there were sales numbers. Hmm. Crazy. Not that we knew about, you know, and like piracy side of things and whatnot. Uh -huh. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, was, uh, I had Frank Jabsy on the podcast a few days ago, and he said ImageLine made him take down a shit ton of his videos because he uh, was like promoting piracy of the software in his videos. They care. Yeah. <laughs> They they um they care about uh their contracts with the world. They're they're an interesting company, ImageLine overall. 
Yeah, they're a cool company. They actually gave me all their stuff um, a little while back when I was right. uh, I, I was supposed to do like this Ableton versus Fruity Loops comparison video, <clears throat> which I mean has been done a ton of times now by by YouTubers. Uh, but mm. I was I was going to sort of do it um, synchronously with Ben Jordan, the Flashbulb. Okay. Um, where he would like try and use Ableton, and I would try and use Fruity Loops because he's an FL user and back and vice versa. And I don't know, I used FL for about a week and I was just like, this is just not enough time for me to actually have an opinion about this. Uh, and what FL feels like to me is it's, <clears throat> it's like a program that started off as like a drum machine and then they just kept building stuff on top of it. And as a result, it feels like very disconnected within the program. Like you need to know to connect shit to shit and like it's like very modular, if that makes sense. Whereas yeah. uh, Ableton is like if you make a change on the session page it reflects in the arrangement page and if you make a you drop a device on something in the session page it like makes that reflection in the arrangement page like it's all connected you know whereas with fruity it's like if you do something in the mixer it doesn't necessarily reflect in the arrangement at all uh and if you it's, do something in the yeah. arrangement like vice versa and it's yeah it, it is interesting that's that is pretty well the description like fl began as a plugin as a piece of software and did develop to be this like this collection of engineered tools from the perspective of that, of like not necessarily being the thing that was designed to do everything, but from where it was, how could it do everything? Mm. And that meant that just a whole way of focus that was very unique to itself. And it happens to be old, like a very built upon, built upon, built upon thing that like you say, you do need to know. It's like, it's like working on an internal combustion engine versus like a modern electric car. They both do a thing, and one thing, one of them at the moment can perform way better as long as you know absolutely everything about how it works. But that's pretty well the only way. And versus modern accoutrement of like turning on and working and everything, as you say, like the things are all reflected, everything is all connected and in a very obviously like presented way. And in FL, that's really only true if you want it to be. And then if you then make it be. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, my buddy Bill Ain showed me some stuff he was doing in Fruity with film, and he just yes, has like these. In, yeah, he just has these incredible like templates in there, and the stuff he was showing me because this was when I was like trying to learn it. I, I was like complaining to him. I was like, "Fruity really <laughs> sucks," and he's like, "No, it's really cool. You just need to like figure out you know how to use everything." And and it, I think that's true if you really do know the program back to front. It's possibly like one of the most powerful pieces of software out there. <clears throat> Because it's like because it's modular, right? Like it allows you to go in any direction you want to as a user, rather than just locking you into this kind of workflow. Yeah, the the value is a two. It's a double edged sword because what it means is that you can pull apart every level into a smaller level in an attempt to fix problems. Your your solutions are never limited to just oh, well, I can't go any farther. I, that's just that. But at the same time, you also could just open up so much more unnecessary complication by just having done that to everything that you're now like a very top heavy sort of thing now. It's just too complicated to move forward with. And that happens a lot to me. Like I end up making stuff. I, I produce myself into a corner of like I can't actually make the thing turn anymore because I've, I've, I've connected it to, to too many disparate things <laughs> where it might not even occur to someone to do that in the piece of software that wouldn't let them. Like what? What's an example of that? 
Okay. Um, brand new problem. Uh, FL introduced uh, linear phase stuff into all their stuff in their last update, and that was awesome. I love it as a as a sound design like scalpel. It's just it's what I need for most problems. But um, timing wise, it introduces an interesting latency issue, and part of it is that uh, part of the not just that it takes a second to do it, but then after it does it, your audio is factually delayed. And I tried to I tried to do some. Um, automation-based sidechain and stuff that is triggered at the beginning of the note structure. And if the, there's time-based after that that happens, it doesn't it doesn't come up with it. And I didn't discover this until I'd already, I got pretty far into a thing. And then I just, I'm like, none of my sidechains lining up, why not? And it has nothing to do with delay compensation. It has nothing to do with um, that doing it wrong. It's just that the actual correct timing of it is always going to be wrong because it has to have an amount of time to do a thing for the thing to have happened, it's like a physical requirement. You would and think I didn't know that would, that would be a problem. Delay the and most too. development would probably try to make you not let you get into that problem. It's like right. how some plugins won't let you do feedback. That's basically mm. time feedback, and it won't never not be that. Yeah, you would think they would like compensate for that, like by just um, if you're using any linear phase plugins, like delaying all the plugins with it, right? The, the timing of the audio is simple enough. The problem is that the automation has to, if the automation happens before the delay, then the automation can't happen to things after the delay and match up, no matter what the delay is. Oh, uh, so you, you're doing your side chaining with volume automation? Yeah, and trying to source it and control things before and after the, the, the compensated, and it, it can't. Not even if you just highlighted all the automation and like moved it over a few samples, like I would have to. Well, I'd have to split the automation to be pre and post the time, and then that would have to be what I did to the post or the pre to make it match up. Because hmm. it's like like the feedback problem is that like the result is changed by the input, and if I change the input, then the result changes with it. Right. And like I didn't know I had. I would not have thought this would be a problem, and I until I had this available to me. You know what I mean. Mm. Yeah, this is one of those things I'd probably just like remove the side chain, stem everything to audio, re-import it into a new project and just drag all the audio files back in time. Yep, that seems like the thing you need to do if you want to like heavily integrate at all levels, like a linear phase-based uh, sort of mixing approach and still do all that stuff that same way, like with the sort of additive result, which is what I want. And then, yeah, I, I would need to like bake it into the steps and bake more steps. <laughs> mm. <clears throat> yeah, interesting. I've, yeah, I've never had that issue with linear phase stuff in Ableton. Like, uh, but then again, like the linear phase stuff I've used in Ableton has really only been the fab filter stuff. Mm. Like, I've just turned on linear phase mode on the EQ or whatever, and it seems to delay everything uh, when I turn it on. I think because I've never come in, never come across an issue like that. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I was watching a video of yours like yesterday or the day before because um, I was doing a mix down and I was mm. uh, referencing, uh, what was I referencing? Um, Skrillex's remix of Kendrick Lamar's Humble. Okay. And I was like, oh, this is like a good benchmark for this tune. If I can get my mix down sounding pretty close to that, which I ended up doing, then that would be good. <clears throat> and then I was like, fuck, man, like at that first my mix down was like worlds apart from that one and i was like how in the fuck like how is this mix down so good and then i did some googling and did some like 
talking to people on the internet and so on and so forth and found out that it was this guy uh, called Tom Norris who did this mix down uh, who goes by the name Get Your Snack On. And Yay! Then that, Get Your Snack On! Yeah, I yeah. love that guy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and then that led me to a video of yours where you... Oh, you, oh, oh, you saw him. Okay. <laughs> yeah, the, with the with the big forum post and, and the Rick roll. He Rick rolled me pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, man, that guy is just Im- impressive. Hey, it's crazy. He just, like, started a SoundCloud account, and he started uploading a bunch of sound recreations of just stuff that he was remaking. And he would remake stuff like perfect. There's like a flume recreation on his SoundCloud that just sounds identical to the original flume track. Um, and then I suppose from there, people like Skrillex and whatnot like started finding out about him and then just asking him to do their mix downs. And now he does all the mix downs for Skrillex and Zed and uh, Lady Gaga. He just did Lady Gaga's Cro- Chromatic or Chrome, whatever, wow. her last album. Um, yeah, and so wow. on and so forth. It's insane. He's like you know, becoming the new Max Martin or something. That guy wins. <clears throat> yeah, he does. And yeah, it's crazy that he, he's just an old like you know, image line forum guy. <laughs> he He's one of those tinker types. That's for sure. Like I, I still remember getting that project file because <clears throat> it said... Like, so this I, at this point, I already knew that this guy knew how to do this, that he could recreate stuff and that he generally doesn't lie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like when he says he's got a thing, you listen to it like, wow, there it is. So here he is being Skrillex, Scary Monster, Nice Sprites, recreation. I'm, I'm like, <laughs> and I go download it and I look it up and it's just the most perfect recreation of, of never going to give you up. Like, it's perfect. All the right, like, the, the toms, the notes, everything, the sounds are just so on. And, like, I, I, I was just so impressed by the quality of how hard I got had. Uh, and then he goes and flexes again by making just the best. He recreated it, like, just for fun. And it was. It was real. <laughs> like, he, he ended up recreating the Skrillex Scary Monsters thing? No, 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 the Rick Roll, the, the, oh, gotcha, the gotcha. Never Gonna Give You Up song, the actual Rick Astley track. He made the backing track. He actually made the song. Right, right. Like, not the vocals, just the instrumental. Yeah. Dude, that's insane. That's funny. Yeah, and I mean, like, <laughs> listening to some of the stuff on his SoundCloud, like, remaking a Rick Astley thing like that is, like, the least of his problems, it seems right. like. Right, like, of course he could. Like, damn. yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, like, remaking that Rick Astley track probably wouldn't be too hard, because... A lot of the drums, I assume, just came from a drum machine. So as long as you just find the drum machine that they were using on the recording, which you could probably do just by Googling it. Um, so that's honestly what like a lot of people back then theorized that that guy's power was, was that he sort of knew all of the presets. He When he heard like a, a person use them in a track or whatever, he, he knew immediately what like they started with. Rick Astley or... Uh, get your snack on, like uh, oh, Tom gotcha. Norris. Did you say his name was Tom Norris? Yeah. So, oh, that's like, a good, uh, yeah, that's a good point. Like, because quite often, when I'm like, oh man, how the fuck did they do this? And then I like actually talk to the person who did it, or find out like through rumors or otherwise, like how they did it or, or whatever. Um, it usually is just like something simple like that, right? They're like, oh yeah, I just started with this preset and then just added like another distortion unit with another preset, <laughs> and then it's like, bam, that sound. Yeah. The, the first half of my, like, being a, alive as a producer as time has been spent mostly just understanding just how much presets are presets. 
and how far down it goes. Because in the beginning, I didn't think anything was a preset. I'm imagining everything as this like scalpeled, created, intentional experience. And then it gets pared down to be like, no, 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 massive is a thing. And <laughs> then you learn about that. And then you're going, oh, okay. So they, they, they began with presets and started making it like, no, 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 no. That's modern talking. That's just what that oscillator sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, and I mean, depending on how you think about it, uh, in a way, like Fruity Loops or Ableton is also a preset, right? It's like the DAW is all, <laughs> almost a preset. Computers themselves like are almost a preset. You can, you can really get into the goat farming thing here. It's true. Like and when you break down genre type like styles, like um, like the sequenced hat like type like hip hoppy kind of production. That's a literal sequencer thing. The limitation of the device that was a sequencer created that style of pre presenting that because that was the the sort of preset way of moving forward. You had these rhythms and that was it. Uh, unless you tried really hard and got really into it and then you didn't sound like you were using a sequencer. But the preset way to do it would be to sound like that, to, to have that like just going through and <laughs> having it done. At what point do you think um, like somebody takes ownership of the music? Like, you know, you can use a preset, right? And it's easy to write that off and be like, yeah, you don't own that. Like, that's a sound that, you know, let's say they used a seamless preset. And, you know, like, let's say Skrillex used a seamless preset. You could easily be like, oh, that's like he used my preset. Like, I have more ownership over it than he does, you know, because <laughs> like, he didn't make that sound or whatever. But, like, at what point do you think, uh, like, if you use presets, you then own the music or you own the sound design that you're writing with? If, if we're removing like contractual, just like telling people we don't like. That, oh yeah, like no no contractual obligation. I mean, like uh, the reality of having made it. Yeah, I mean, like um, like philosophically, like where do you see the ownership of a piece of music coming to be? Like like at what point do you go like, oh that that's that guy's like he made that, you know? Like let's say it, it gets harder to tell every day. Let me tell you that much. Like and and certain songs, certain pieces of music, I don't even hear whoever made it. It, it seems like so much of a pieces of just tropes and stuff that it's so clearly those that I barely hear the actual current version of it. Like the person who made it as just not being anything but that. Um, but the question is, would I have ever been able to tell that if I didn't have the, the experience, the time put in? And like, am I am I how corrupting my musical experience am I by like viewing it like that piecemeal mm -hmm. kind of meaty chunks of track versus like. Uh, someone who'd actually did cleverly arranged a bunch of tropes into something that was enjoyable like that that happened that seems like the point almost and it'd be really hard to figure out what anything anyone ever did that wasn't just some collection of tropes at some level yeah totally actually in looking into this tom norris guy i kind of realized how much like a lot of the big acts like skrillex and zed are just that right it's like for instance um that zed track in the middle uh, like I don't even really know what Zed did but like from listening I mean I'm sure he like so he didn't write the song for starters like the song was written by somebody uh, and then he wow. <laughs> he auditioned a ton of country singers and then eventually landed on Maren whatever her name is um, as the, the one he wanted to sing it he then got uh, I guess he like probably did all the uh, like arrangement of instruments which, you know, if somebody's already written the song, that could have just been like loading up a bunch of presets that he liked that sounded good. And then his buddy Tom Norris mixed it 
and then mastered it as well, I'm pretty sure. So uh, like at which point, you know, so like so many people collaborating on this thing to make it happen. It's like there was a songwriter, there was uh, a, a singer, there was a mix master guy, and then there was like Zed doing whatever he did. And then in the end, it's like branded as like a Zed tune featuring the singer or whatever. Um, it's like <clears throat> it's like a nation. It's it's seriously like it got put together. There's a figurehead, and it's there to communicate the body of work against the others. Like it's barely even like if all person could be considered to have been the, the the it right. Yeah, exactly. But at the end of the day, like somebody decided to put all those things together. You know, it's kind of like. At some point, like somebody decided to put an engine inside a car and therefore like, you know, you can then drive it. But, you know, somebody before that probably decided to make an engine and somebody before that, you know, decided to make a cart. And, you know, it's well, in some way like yeah. um, there is something special, I think, about figuring out to put things together and be like, now it's a better thing. And it's so obvious that these things should go together to some people and very not to other people. So sometimes we... Like I mean, we call we call the pride of snare a pride of snare, <clears throat> mm-hmm. and like that's one of those like after that happened, it feels like an like, extraordinarily obvious combination, and that like we literally can't live without. But it's so obviously that had that guy did it that like it's called it his name from now on. And <laughs> is it, so is he, is he like a a featured act on every song from now to the end of time? Like he might be. Basically, he is because we say that. Well, what is that? Oh, it was a pride snare. Like, I think it depends like how much you would define a track based on the fact that it has a pride snare in it, right? Like, if I put a pride snare in one of my tracks, I'm sure that nobody is going to like refer to it as like that track that has the pride snare in it. Like, they're probably, (laughs) I'm sure there'll be something more of value in there for somebody to refer to it as. And it's probably only like, you know, a percent that like the Prida can be said to have the impact the way that it does. But that's still, that's the question though. Like if that's the, the answer would then be who has the most majority impact on the track, if that's the measure. And like the DAW manufacturer might be the biggest one, if we're honest. Yeah, I've actually thought about this before. It's like the people who, who are making the software that we all make the music with. Yeah, sort of, the things uh, the people who are letting us do the things with saw waves like that, like the, the decisions made there have done more to shape music than anything, any choice we've ever made. Yeah, I would agree. But again, like going back to the uh, like uh, metaphor of application, you know, like that, yes, they made like the tools to do the thing. But it's, you know, who who did the more important thing, like in the creation of the car engine? Was it the person who made the fire thing to uh you know like the blast furnace or whatever to be able to melt metal or was it the person who actually figured out that melting that metal could be then like turned into an engine and you can make like little parts out of it and all this sort of stuff well oh boy the answers to those questions started to be talking about like well what's better capitalism or communism (laughs) (laughs) i think that's a different conversation Well, in this in this example of the engine the person who figured out that this was possible might have figured it out like a hundred years before this happened because there wasn't an economy of scale available to even allow us to. Like mm. a lot about space flight and space travel was figured out in the 1600s, and like just math and stuff that we have not been in a position to do anything about until like this past century. And like the question if 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 doing it is the thing, 
and having done it, like who mattered more, like Newton or Einstein in this application of like space flight, space flight? Yeah, or Elon Musk. So yeah, if, if Mars, if you go to Mars, in in going to Mars, if making the track is going to Mars, who mattered more in that, Elon Musk, Einstein, or Newton? Uh, who who do you think mattered more? Probably Newton. Okay. Uh, more than Einstein. It's that's a that's a good that's a fair calculus is important, but relativity also is also the whole bag there. So, so would you say Newton was the door maker and Einstein made like massive or something? So actually, here's a good one. Yeah, yeah, okay. Like Newton was the door, and then Einstein was the guy who figured out the crazy cool thing that no one could do yet. And then like so Elon Musk Einstein is was Skrillex. Yeah, he's Skrillex. <laughs> Elon Musk is Skrillex. That's exactly what happened. Wait, Elon Musk is Skrillex or Einstein is Skrillex? Elon Musk is a Skrillex, like came along after the fact and saw the energy and where it could be, and then but new, and arranged it. Like was like, oh, I, I can see that I, because this is here, I can do this. Like that that feels like what 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 Sunny Skrillex has been doing, seeing yeah, things there sense. and being like, I can do that. Yeah, yeah, it's a good analogy. I think I think we've uh, we've made some good analogies here. Yes, we're <laughs> somebody very good who's at that. like yeah, yes, <laughs> yeah, somebody who's like studying physics or science of some sort is going to listen to this and be like, "What in the fuck?" <laughs> yeah, being like, "Wow, one of you didn't go to college." <laughs> you did not go to college. I mean, I I went to college. I did not complete college. Oh, nice. What did you go to study? Uh, Holyoke Community College, and I went for music, and that was a bad idea. Oh, why? Uh, don't, I mean, for me personally, going to college for something that I knew anything about just made it boring and impossible to engage and I just failed instantly. And I, it needs, I needed to be something that I knew nothing about so that I, I could have, I could put up with like the 100 level stuff. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I feel like, um, going to college and not stretching yourself at all is like a kind of pointless exercise. I, like, at the time I was going like as like the just the requirement type like as that was the trajectory that was what I was expected to do so I went the the path of least resistance and that was that was a bad call. Mm. Yeah, I kind of did the same thing. I went to college for audio engineering and there was a lot of it that I found pretty boring, but there was also a lot that I didn't know and I did learn a lot there. Like for instance, I went there like knowing Ableton pretty well already and like knowing how to write electronic music pretty well and so on and so forth but I had no idea like how a microphone worked or like I had no idea about like the harmonic series and I, I had no idea about uh, music theory and acoustics and how a mixing desk works and all that kind of oh stuff. Oh boy. Yeah, yeah. so <laughs> I like learn about all, all the like exterior stuff outside of Ableton basically. Colleges are good for that. They're good for the audio engineering and like technical like the recording side of things like they have they have the knowledge and the, the equipment. <laughs> that was the main thing there, the equipment. But actually, it's funny. The reason why I initially went there was not for the knowledge or the equipment. It was because um, in Australia, and in retrospect, this was like the dumbest idea ever, but my like young brain was like, this makes total sense. Um, in Australia, the government will like pay for your education up front and then you just have to pay them back. I mean, it's kind of the same here, right? Like you just go into debt. Like you don't, they don't deny you college. They just put you in debt. So, um, yep. But I mean, yeah, so I did that. But the reason I did it is because by joining this college, uh, I was able to get a $500 MacBook Pro. <laughs> like oh. that was just part of going 
to the to the college, right? That specific college. Um, yeah, yeah. I was SAE in Sydney. But um, hmm. after like sort of rethinking it, like in my later years when I actually had to pay off the debt, I was like, I really didn't get that MacBook for 500 bucks. I just like I'm paying for it in my tuition, basically. That was an expensive MacBook. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was in, in the end much more expensive than if I had just bought a MacBook. But that was actually the like, I think the initial reason why I was like, ah, I should, I should do this. Like that, that tipped me over the edge. Cause at the time I was using like a shitty Dell laptop that had like uh, 256 megabytes of Ram or something like that. Those are the days. Wow. <clears throat> yeah. Where like you had to render, like I couldn't listen to shit like in real time. I had to like do things and then render it to audio and listen to the MP3 and windows media player. Oh man. Uh, I remember when reverbs would tank my systems. <clears throat> oh yeah, like Arts Acoustic or whatever. Did you ever use that reverb? I yeah, that that one. I remember the first time I I I I I I had a hubristic moment with that plugin before I got it because I I thought to myself I'm being like oh I, I'm test stressing my computers all the time with the graphical stuff. Like why doesn't audio processing do anything impressive? Uh, and then I, I I put on that plugin and I put on more than one of that plugin and then it became an issue. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I had I had issues like that all the time back in the day. I'm glad that that stuff's just not a problem anymore. Like for instance, I was doing a mix down yesterday with wave stuff. And wave stuff is like notoriously heavy on your CPU, I feel like. And I was just loading up like on every channel, like ten waves plugins, and my computer's just still like meh, whatever. <laughs> it, it's true. There's a lot you have to push to make. Like I oversample stuff just by default now. Like there's not it, it barely registers as happening unless I I re I literally intentionally try. But here's the thing: I gotta wonder if the fact that I'm not trying is from so many years of learning to avoid it. Like, I think it's partially that, but also um, the software that you're using was originally built, a lot of it was anyway, to run on old machines as well. So I think it's a combination of like, uh, you know, like Massive or whatever was designed to run on shitty, way shittier computers than we're using now. And also, um, <clears throat> yeah, our workflows were also designed for way shittier computers than we're working on now. Like, I mean, resampling is essentially, I believe, something that came of shit computers, you know, like if, I don't know if we would have as a, <laughs> production community come up with resampling otherwise i mean we probably would have out of like sound design necessity or whatever but you know uh, I, mean, I think mostly i would have found a reason <laughs> yeah yeah exactly um but in the initial reason at least for me uh to resample anything was just to so i could even play it you know <laughs> yeah uh it was it was a bit weird when I, because I didn't know enough about when I was trying, when I was learning resampling, I didn't know enough about the normal just do it the first time because I didn't understand that it was supposed to be taxing because they'd be like, oh, you do this step and then you resample it. I'm like, well, yeah, but why? I, because, oh, to do it again, I just, I could just do it again. <laughs> I could just have another <laughs> step. Like, I'll just do that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, now there's plugins <clears throat> that kind of do the resampling steps for you within the plugin. Um, like, for instance, there's this new plugin that, that hasn't come out yet. It's in beta called Rift that my buddy Jake, who used to work at Output, made. He's the guy who made, like, Portal. And um, I think he made a few other plugins. But um, anyway, he made this plugin called Rift. And at the top, there's this number. And you can set it between 1 and 6. 
And one is just like it goes through the distortion one time and then you hit like two and it goes it like sends it back through again and three, <laughs> it sends it back through again. And it's like just within the plugin, you can send it. Ah, resample order. That's awesome. Yeah, you that can just really send cool. everything through itself six times if you want within the plugin without having to resample. I, I I like that about plugins that they're they're realizing that they have horsepower. Um, there's uh, you ever use Rapid? Uh, no, it's a plugin that's just like sixty four itself and everything it does. It it's about like layering at high numbers of oscillators, and it it just is just you you set up a voice and then you can copy it and then you can copy that group and then you can copy that group. And just in itself, it's just all this crazy extra layering stuff that you would have been doing to try and get something awesome out of like an oscillator jank that you can't have much of. But now it's unnoticed. It knows it's in the future. So it's like, I'll just have a hundred of myself. Why not? I. Yeah. I mean, that was like the original uh, sort of goal, I guess you could say, or um, like the original appeal about stuff like Kaima, right? Like the Capybara was just this external computer basically that you could just have in your studio that that could do all sorts of crazy stuff i remember going to a friend's place that had one back in the day and he was like check this out and he like played me this uh piece that he that he like or this program essentially that he wrote which just sounded like thunder and like rain and uh like you know just like ambience and like it basically sounded like i was listening to what it sounds like when you're standing outside in a thunderstorm and I was like, cool, man, that sounds like, you know, really cool thunder. Like, where, you know, where'd you get the sample? Or like, how's that happening? And he's like, oh, that's like 20,000 oscillators doing that. <laughs> and um, Jesus. I was like, yeah, how's that happening? And he's like, I have this entire other computer to do it. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I, I, that's, that's the sort of, that's, those are the questions I have about like sound design. It's, it's mostly like, once I learned that a thing does a thing, my next step is, okay, what happens if I do that a thousand times at once? That's immediately where I go. <laughs> I, I, I don't, I lose interest in the, the whatever the normal application of a thing is pretty fast. And like, that's why I like Vital so much because its normal application is already extreme. It's mm -hmm. already very on the high end of it knows that it's in the future. Like we were talking about limitations of software design to have been limited. Um, like Citrus has a certain amount of power in its FM that makes it certain kind of loud, and like Serum has more. Serum's like FM range is is wider, and it, which is like a process problem if you're doing high frequency stuff, but it can because the future horsepower. And then there's Vital that goes so much farther than both of them, and it has extra voices, and it splits stuff, and it's a weight like wavetable based. That's so Serum and whatnot, but. Like I, I like these future conscious things that answer and I, the questions I tend to have, which is just what happens when you go extra, extra, extra hard. Yeah, I I, I agree. Um, I was teaching a sound design course at Berkeley, like uh, really a awesome couple of years ago. Yeah, um, yeah, I took over a buddy's job there for a while, and uh, Dope. essentially my entire unit or my entire like course was just like take whatever they're teaching you in like traditional mixing class and music theory class and any other class you're doing and just turn it on on its head just don't do <laughs> do the exact opposite that's exactly what sound design is and it's like really hard to sort of uh break those rules in people's heads right because you know like to make a crazy sound like yeah put like 50 otts on something speaking of which this is a reason why i don't like fruity loops because you can only have like eight plugins on a channel and then i guess like to do other shit you need to like use patcher or whatever so. yeah i pretty much live in patcher <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah 
So um, anyway, uh, stuff like that, like putting you know, 50, 60 OTTs on something, I'm like, this is how to sound design. And people in the class are just like, but doesn't that introduce phase issues? And you're like, yeah, that's the point. Like that's sound that's, design. That's the cool thing. <laughs> yeah, that's why it sounds all like <laughs> and fucked up because the trick now is, is you know, phase. Yeah, exactly. The, the, the trick now is like just putting a DC blocker on it and cutting the lows and putting a sub under it and a drum beat and making it musical, right? Like that's... Now you can go back to your music theory class or whatever. <laughs> yeah, that that um most of the time, if a person comes like if I'm doing one on ones and the person comes to me confused at a sound design or even a mixing like intensity aspect, it's mostly because they're trying to be too careful. Mm-hmm. There is just a lot of that, a lot of like like, and I understand why. I received the same education that told them to be careful. I had learned what the EQ-based phase distortion problem was, but then here comes Skrillex, and literally the coolest thing ever made was by doing the exact opposite of giving a shit about that. Yeah, that's totally true, actually. It's like the first time anyone heard that kind of stuff. They were like, holy shit, like it's so over the top. It's so crazy. And it's just because, yeah, maybe he was like one of the first people to be like, you know, like why are these limitations here? Like why can't we break them? If it sounds cool, it's cool, right? And like he was the first person, I think, to have like some of the confidence at least to do that. At that level, at the at the like the pop enough level to get people to hear it at that at that those numbers. Like Yeah, but I mean he wasn't pop at that time. He made scary monsters, right? Or like not he really. had done that EP, but he was from he was in from first to last, like that metal band. Uh, it's kind of true. So he yeah. had he had industry access and experience. That's an, that's enough for me. <laughs> yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, so I, I had Steve Duda on the other day, and he um he was like I think the person who introduced Sonny to Dead Mouse actually, and yeah, he was I guess he knew him yeah probably from the from first to last era. And he always like wanted to show Steve his music, and Steve was always like begrudgingly like, "Fucking sure, like whatever, kid." Like, <laughs> and then um, he listened to it and was like, "Damn, this is good." And I think showed it to Joel, and then Joel signed him, and so on. And there it is. Yep, bam! Skrillex got bigger than Joel. Wrecked those contacts, <laughs> man. Yeah, I mean, it can make a difference for sure. Um, it's a combination, though, right? It's not just contacts, because I mean, like Obviously. I've got this exact same contact you know i've got a collab out with dead mouse and i def- definitely am not as big as skrillex so i think it's like you know right time right place doing the right thing all that kind of stuff and, and there's also the nature of the right thing like i had uh i had a discussion with steve a while ago about about this too and about the, the thing that separates people like sunny from people like me which is that sunny knows the knows how energy in music works like in a listener perspective Whereas I, I'm like the most mechanical one. To, I can figure it out. I can parse why later. But he knows now. He knows in the moment, like how to put a thing into place to make it do the deal. He might not have any idea why, but he knows. He can feel it, and like it <clears throat> really comes through in his music. And it also like does the job his music is supposed to do. So and then the magic was that he took material that other artists would have a hard time doing that with. They would have a hard time arranging energy around that stuff but he just had the vision he was just good he had good to go and put it down and it worked and it was great <laughs> yeah yeah I, like it. <laughs> yeah I agree I, I think he's like pretty much a genius like in terms of his songwriting and just the way he he does things um which is yeah he's just a crazy writer but um 
I still wonder like if he can do mix downs as good as this Tom Norris guy. <laughs> I was listening to a podcast with Tom Norris on it and he was like he, he he was like I think Sonny can like do everything that I do and probably better than I can do it, but he thinks that he's just like a good resource for him to use if he wants to concentrate on something else like songwriting or whatever. Um it would be which amazing is- if I could like separate pieces of my production into like a whole person that I could actually trust to deliver the vision I have. That would like that would be majestic a and b i can't imagine it's not an amazing boost of productivity yeah it must be nice right to just like sit down with all your samples organized and whatnot and just be like bam 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 and like knock out a you know a track idea in like a couple of hours and then just like pass it off to a to a mix guy and be like make this sound as good as humble (laughs) (laughs) and then right like it must have been this must that's a rock star status right like you're a guitarist who has your your tech technicianed up fully good guitar that's plugged into the amp already mic'd up and ready to go in the room to sign design the sound like it did 80 years ago like it like that kind of stuff you do when you kill it that hard <laughs> mm, yeah it's true how to kill that hard i guess just put more hours in because at this point like for for sunny that from first to last stuff was for for a while and like that's that was an international act so the guy had been hewn you know hewn hewn like a piece of wood hewn like carved into the shape of him (laughs) it's a good word hewn hewn nice um yeah so what like what's going on with youtube stuff are you still doing youtube stuff I am still doing YouTube stuff. Uh, the main thing I'm doing now is the viewer track reviews, and I'm I'm trying to trying to formulate a couple of new and interesting things. Trying to bring back some old stuff, um, mm-hmm. doing tracks from scratch, that kind of thing. Uh, those seem to be to be the most the, the sort of the popular ones. I do have this fun deal with uh, the Zounds these days about uh, just sending gear back and forth. So I want to. I initially wanted to do gear reviews. But now I realize I don't actually want to do gear reviews. I just actually wanted to sound design with the gear for a while and record that and then be done with it. Um, but so that's the kind of stuff I'm trying to figure out. I'm experimenting with like wh- what I can be doing that's like still interesting in this day and age because a lot of people know the things that I know kind of in mass now. And it's it's not as easy to come up with, you know, the fun stuff. Yeah, I mean, the videos of yours that I like the most and still like the most, <clears throat> and I think there's a few reasons for this, is just the ones where you're talking to the camera. Like, for instance, the story you're telling about Get Your Snack On, right? Like, <laughs> that's a great video. And I think, like, the the reason I like it more than your other videos is, A, because I don't know how to use Fruity Loops very well. So whenever I watch it, I'm mostly lost or, like, I'm if I'm not lost, I'm like, this doesn't really apply to things I want to do. So, it it's not as interesting to me, um, <clears throat> but like I really just like your opinions on things and like the Aww. stuff you you're talking about. It's always like interesting. Like I think you did another one about like bad deals and how to spot bad deals and stuff like that. Like in the mm-hmm. industry, and you talked about how there's like labels who um, <clears throat> their whole thing is basically getting like a thousand artists on at a fifty percent split. And then each of those thousand artists make like nothing, but then that label who's getting all the fifty percent splits like makes a lot of money and so on and so forth. And how to like mid- uh, navigate the the industry in that way? I thought that was a pretty insightful and interesting video. Yeah, um, I'm glad. Yeah, and those I'm those I think those are good. Yeah, and it's good because I mean, like you know, then it it appeals to people outside of Fruity Loops like me. That is a good point. You you, you brought that. You mentioned the you mentioned those videos before, and uh, I've been thinking about that since then. 
and I haven't been doing a lot of those, but uh, it's honestly, I, I, I have a hard time assuming what people actually like about my content. Uh, and it's because comments and views are very unreliable. Um, like what watch time, how people spend like and when and how long, like you'd think I would just follow the trends and that'd be, that'd be kind of fine. But like what attention I have is just so niche and weird that I can't really take like, I can't act like I'm getting a good like idea of people's opinions on stuff because I'm, I'm, we're not, we're not talking about hundreds of millions of people. We're talking about just the whims of a couple hundred thousand over the courses of a long time. Stuff changes and, uh, there's very, it is very whimmy, but, um, I, I do, I do want to do more in general. So I probably should bring those back, do more talky talking about stuff. I could talk about this. I could talk <laughs> about what it's like to keep, still be doing this. Like, plus 10 years after the fact, because I didn't totally expect to be, tell you that much. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's always weird with content, right? Whether it be like music you're putting out or videos you're putting out or whatever, it's you always to some degree, um, just because, you know, the nature of the work is pretty solitary. Um, <clears throat> you kind of have to always just build these uh, like make-believe or uh, what's the word? Like um, these kind of abstracted, uh, versions of an audience that you're like, and then they would like this, uh, this time of the set or whatever. <laughs> yes. And you're like, and then this bit would happen and everyone would be like, yeah. <laughs> and you have to like, you know, make these ideas in your head that, that this would be real. Uh, and then on, in regards to the, to the YouTube comments and likes thing being unreliable. Uh, one thing I've noticed is generally your, uh, the majority, sorry, your loudest or parts of your, like the loudest part of your audience is not the majority is what I'm trying to say. It's like a small minority of them. You know, most people will never comment on your shit who watch it, you know, like there's, it's whatever true. you have a hundred thousand subscribers, uh, there's probably like 10,000 of them that have ever commented on your channel or something, you know? And it's rare that it's the <coughs> same person's, unless it really, unless it's like the group of the same people. It's not like, I do recognize some names like over time and, I like to think I kind of imagine it's like you dri you drive down a highway the same way every day and you see kind of the same cars every so often you just kind of like you form like opinions of what those people are like based on the kind of the snippets of a little interaction you get on those little moments and it it could be tough to to remember that that is just an assumption that like at the end of the day it is like you say a very solitary thing it is just this hologram of an of an audience I'm creating that like I think it's a good idea if I do this and like I think it's a good idea if I do this and like because it, it used to be the audience i was doing this for was like my younger self but like my younger this this is not the world my younger self was in at all anymore mm -hmm. and that that advice is is going to get less and less like functional as time moves on yeah that's a good point um because I, I think i was the same like the videos i was making back in the day were very much for me a couple of years prior uh, but yeah like you said these days it's um most people probably know everything that we know uh, at least if they want to, because all the information is for sure out there at this point. There's, it's not like you know back in the day when when we were starting, where you really had to dig through forums to get like any little dogs morsel. on acid, and that yeah, was exactly it. <laughs> the dog. Yeah, the, <laughs> that was like a drum and bass heavy forum. I feel like, uh, um, yeah, exactly. Dogs on acid was one. Glitch hop forum came a little after that, and then you know what else was there? There was I don't know. I was on like a ton of PHP forums, like. I was on like yeah. some IDM one. I was on like a break call one. I was on like just a ton, just looking for like any little scrap of information I could basically and then asking anyone I could as well. And it was just, 
<clears throat> trying to compile all that information from all of those forums to make a complete picture of like how any good music was made was really tough. But yeah, now it's like just a one-stop shop, YouTube, Google, anything you want and yeah. information given to you in less than 10 minutes. And um, it's also commonplace and expected for people who make stuff now to kind of on having made it also tell you how and like talk about it. It's it's almost likely versus back then it was like a war. People were mm. trying to hide everything. And yeah, I just, think what happened, right, is the people who were trying to hide everything realized like, uh, wow, there's people out there now who are telling people everything and they're actually making a living from music while I'm here hiding all my secrets and still working a big lots. Like I should probably, <laughs> you know, share some of my secrets. <laughs> I think that was a big part of it. And then, you know, Splice Sounds was obviously a game changer. Um, oh, I went yes. to like a summit for Splice Sounds. And one really? of the facts they dropped there, uh, which like blew my mind, is that they've paid something like $30 million out to artists or like more, something like crazy amount of money. Wow. Yeah. And they, they actually just got valued um, or not valued. They just got Series C funding, I think, for $270 million. Like that company is just blowing up. Like they've got to be worth more than Ableton at this point. Um, wow, <laughs> I'm I'm so glad to hear that. Like so I want for nothing but for Splice the way that Splice is to be the way that everything is. Like yeah, it makes a lot of sense, right? This whole like wow. subscription based thing and and um, not having to buy packs by packs, like right. yeah, individual sound selection. Like I basically stopped getting sample packs when I was a, a younger producer because. They were 90% bullshit. Yeah, no, I agree. Same. Like, I mostly, yeah, don't give a shit about packs either. It's like, a, for instance, uh, Get Your Snack On, I, like, wanted to make a mix down that sounded like Humble the other, no, the Humble remix the other day. And um, I was like, damn, the hi-hats uh, just sound really nice. So I just found a pack that he'd released on Splice and just, like, pulled the hi-hats from it, and that's it. <laughs> like, left the rest. And... Yeah. And like if that capability had existed when I was a newer producer, I probably wouldn't have gone so hard to like make stuff myself. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah, it's also true. So in some way, it might might have been detrimental. Uh, yeah. Or it might be detrimental for producers now to have everything so easy. But then again, um, you know, the, the fact that everything is so easy now, <clears throat> it kind of like it's not like these newer producers have less processing power in their heads than we do. It's just now they don't have to spend it on stuff that is just easy to attain, right? So now they can you know, spend that processing power on, you know, like songwriting or you know, being more innovative, like stylistically or something like that. Right. Like I, it seemed for the most part being a producer in, in my younger time was about being limited by access to like that's just a sound. Like it could have been an orchestra because you didn't have samples. It could have been drums because you didn't have samples. It could be like any kind of synthesis because you didn't know what it was. But then the next step of even being able to make a thing after you have all that, you couldn't even practice because you literally just couldn't even touch it. It was it was a defeat before you ever tried. And <laughs> like ha being in the world now where you basically can have any kind of any sound anywhere for pretty reasonable access or at all or just for free. Like, it means that the question is, cool, what is everyone going to do now? What is the doing going to be? 
and that's and to start there for everyone to begin at what are they doing and not just well what are you limited by that's going to be a kind of interesting world yeah well i mean you can also like go back uh to the analogy we were at before where we were like talking about capitalist uh, societies and how how things scale right like you said back in the day people like knew how to do a bunch of shit it's not like they they didn't know how to do space travel in in the year 1700 or whatever it's just they didn't have capitalism at large to be able to scale up all the materials needed and all the manpower needed and whatnot to build a spaceship and send it into space and you know dig fuel out of the ground and make you know and refine it and all that exactly like all this stuff right so all the high energy density (laughs) things that required the apparatus to accomplish and not just the thought right and like if you were living in those times um or let's say you were living in the times just prior to when space travel had happened, right? You could easily be like looking at it from the people's perspective of the 1700s being like, well, now they don't have to think about like, you know, how to machine metals and now they don't have to think about how to refine oils and like all of this kind of crap. Like, what are they going to do with all of that, right? And it's like, well, we now have the answer. It's go to space. Um, But yeah, I guess like what is the answer for that for music production? Uh, Why? we literally can't imagine and that's freaking cool like uh, there there was a time uh i honestly didn't see a lot of like and this is just being me being old man steve for a second being like i didn't imagine that this would come today like I, like hardware is is a good example because when i i originally didn't like hardware because for most of my life it all the hardware was designed for a life prior to mine like a whole way of doing and being that i just never been in that i can't even think in and learn to know how to work in like all the the 80s world and now we have things like like novation peak that is ostensibly the same kind of device but with lots of modern forethought that actually is the world that's what i can think about it and work with it and use it and like i i even still use it to basically the same effect but it's just a a modern attention to a a usability and that is just fadism right like fads happening people in their in their little moments of what is their perception like is it is it interacting with what the things are made for the perception or are they outside of what things are made for another one over and over again. And I, now that I'm as like, I'm 32, I'm not like ancient or anything, but that like I've experienced enough that I could see now. I remember what like the old version of the world of music being limited by not having access to process or the sound versus now where it's not. And I, being f- created from the limitation, I actually have a serious hard time looking forward and being like, what are they going to do? What are the people who are were not limited or born with my limitations going to do when they get to this world created by my limitations? Well, there's a good chance that they're just limited in their own ways, right? Like these people who have known nothing but this, what we would consider to be non-limited world are all probably like, man, like, why is it like this? Like, why can't I just, like, why can't I just do this X, Y, Z thing? Like, you know. And then they will. They'll have their Newton moment, and then maybe they'll have their Elon Musk moment and make a plug-in for it. But Yeah, I mean, there's one producer in particular that I've been working with a lot recently. His name's Ellie Derp, and he's just this incredible dubstep producer. He's only 18. And, I mean, he's producing music that sounds almost, like, basically, I think it sounds better than what I'm producing now at age 32 after doing this for a decade or more. Um 
and he's also just like pu- pumping out like Max for Live devices left, right, and center that are like well produced Max for Live devices that are doing like incredible things. He's making like these Ableton racks that I use on like everything now. Like he's doing all this crazy shit, right? And it's awesome. because he's like not limited in the same ways that I was, right? Like there's a good chance if if I was born into the same world he was that I probably would have ended up the same way at age 18. But um, <clears throat> yeah, so I think in those ways, like that's kind of what these people are doing. As, as, um, you know, we keep hearing about these younger producers who are like 14, 15, 16, who are just making these crazy tunes. Like More Kismet is another example. Yeah, Noir is another example. Um, Zenith is another good example. Like there's just all these young kids who are just making crazy, crazy shit. And I think like that's what you get when you're born into a world like that isn't limited in the same ways that we were. I got I got to see a little bit of that firsthand. Um, I I managed I had to I had a I did a festival right before festivals collapsed and uh, met more Kismet and they produced on my my laptop for a second and I over the shoulder watched them do some stuff and it was they were they they were just making some pretty normal looking rhythm stuff but some of the choices were just like oh that's all really very clever like fast. Like a, the really basic choice, like just merging your kick, your sub, and this noise sample into a sample and processing all that into one channel, like as an audio file, and just doing it and moving it on, and then going, and you're done. And like I, I have my ways of going to that result, but it is not anywhere near that snappy. And it it was clearly born of like they saw how the things we were doing. Or also just saw because they have much more matured software than they began with, and not FL3, that like they could just do that and not have to deal with the crap that I did. <laughs> mm, yeah, and before you know it, I mean, there's just going to be a... I mean, there already is probably just a sample like that on Splice, which will avoid you even having to go through the process of layering it yourself anyway. But it's always tricky, right? Because um, going back to like the ownership thing, it's hard to just take a sample like that from Splice, put it in your project and feel like you have ownership over it. Like you almost have to load it in, do some shit to it and then flatten it and process it a little bit and then be like, okay, now I own it, you know? <laughs> now I feel that sample. way too about it, but I don't, I don't know that other producers do, like younger ones especially. And I don't even think it's them like necessarily trying to think less about it as it is that it is a less of a thing to them. It is more really their kind of owned. And it might actually be less owned to us, but it might actually still be the same level of ownership just because their world is um, it's not as dense as ours. There's more of them. There's more of them doing it. More of more of the kinds of the, the genres have. They're more fungible, and to the degree that like one sample that gets used one way is are it's like guaranteed to be heard again almost. Whereas before it seemed like the point was to get samples that like wouldn't be heard again. They would be actually specifically unique and like different and new. But how possible is that when everyone's trying to do that? Yeah, I mean. I don't think I understand your point. I think I'm. I think I was confused by by the point you were trying to make. Uh, I might have confused myself. Uh, what the heck did I just say? Something about. Oh yeah. Okay. So, a person coming to to be a producer now and getting a sample on Splice thinks of it as a certain amount of ownership, the way that we do, and we look at that level of ownership as not having met our standards of ownership, but because I think it beats theirs. Right, like you're saying, because um, in the way that we, like in the in the sort of production world that we grew up in, it was pretty commonplace on forums and such, like dogs on acid, that 
for it to be considered your sample, like you kind of really had to synthesize it and make it all from scratch and whatnot. Whereas right. these days, it's pretty commonplace for somebody to get a sample off Splice and if they uh, have applied it in an interesting and cool way, such as like, you know, more Kismet, say just downloads a thing, puts it in FL in this like snappy fast way and like makes a really sick track out of it, that that's totally like reasonable these days. Right. And the reason for that, like in our dogs on acid time, like there were maybe like what, 60 people total that would operate at that level. And like now there's like 600,000. It's like mm -hmm. the numbers are, are explosive. And the result is that like it was a lot easier to be unique and make newer, cooler, interesting sounds where there wasn't as many people trying when there wasn't like a plugin that came out and then everything it could possibly do in three steps was mined out in a month. Like, it took a while for people to be like, oh, that kind of sounds like massive. But then like, oh, that kind of sounds like Serum was like an instant reality when Serum was new. And like, we don't have that about Vital yet, I don't think. <clears throat> yeah, how long do you think um, it took between Serum coming out? Because it came out in 2013, did it? Or early 2014? Something like Is that. Is that when? I don't I remember when it came out. Yeah, it came out, I think, 2013 or 2014. But how long do you think it was between when it came out and when when people were really like getting results from it and being like you could tell like oh that's serum because i mean now it's like well the last few years at least it's been very much like in part to people like au5 and virtual riot and such to just be like yeah that's that's an au5 sound or that's a virtual riot tutorial that's just been followed oh yeah Vir virtual riots um led pretty much led the way with the way serum got used and pretty instantly but there there's a bit of because of the the reverb filter stuff, like that, the the wavetable FM combined with the reverb filter was basically every bass for like two years. <laughs> and the thing about that is that those filters weren't new with Serum; they were an LFO tool. <laughs> mm -hmm. So some people already knew them. Some people were familiar with them. And then Serum came around and just packaged it up and put OTT at the end of it. It basically was <laughs> like the the preset machine of the age. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, you're right. Like everything that was in Serum actually existed uh, like outside of Serum before. With the I exception of the wavetable stuff. And like the wavetables are fun and whatnot, but the ability that to, to warp them and to FM them it was what made a lot of that tone possible. And then the idea that you can make them different tables was what made everybody make their own special sauce. Yeah. Even though it was the same process, all the same process. Right. But see, in some way, like, um, you know, this is another example of being like, well, what will, what will they do now that everything like this is available? It's like people like Steve will make things like Serum, right? Like that's kind of what what will happen when you remove a lot of uh, technical barriers, you know, because 20 years ago or something like would Serum have been possible to create? Probably not, right? Because machines were too shitty to run it and there probably wasn't enough like reward for doing something like that 20 years ago. So yeah, nobody could you imagine there being an appreciable amount of time for it to have loaded a wavetable? Like imagine opening a wavetable and taking like a minute. That would be terrible. Right. Or, or, or even like, do you think it would be a reasonable amount of time for anybody to spend on that with the amount of producers that would give a shit about it at that time? You know, like somebody like imagine like Steve's uh, single man operation spending, you know, I don't know how many million hours on Serum, you know, like uh, years and years of, of his life to then just release it in 1995 to the 10 right, producers Right, that, that would have been the space flight in the 1600s right there. 
Well, maybe a little different because, I mean, if you think about it in the 1600s, if you, like, got a space flight going, I mean, yeah, for starters, you wouldn't be able to communicate that you had a space flight to anybody because the internet didn't exist. So it would just be, like, your local community that would know about it. And then for starters, and then you'd have yeah. to find people to get on it, which would be, like, right. Like, people might be a bit, like, wary in the 1600s <laughs> of technology like that, having never seen a car. <laughs> It'd be a hard time. It'd be a bad deal. It'd be a bad, it, and most people would say no to the idea of trying. Yeah, I'm sure there'd be, like, one person back then who was, like, you know, your Mountain Dew adrenaline junkie of 2020. <laughs> He's just like, put me in. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the, 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 the Chinese emperor that put, him on, put himself on fireworks and blew himself up. Wait, did this happen? I'm pretty sure that happened. It was either in a cosmos that I saw that or uh, probably actually hilariously unreliable educational video from high school. But <laughs> the legend is that this emperor wanted space flight, so he strapped rockets to a chair and lit it and didn't go anywhere. <laughs> he, just, he just killed yeah. himself? I think that Jeez. seems like the result would be. Why wouldn't he like strap it all to a chair, light it from a distance? See what would happen? And yeah. just be like, does this look like it's gonna like go up? And you know, he's like, no, nope, first go, let's YOLO. <laughs> some people had some had ideas back then, man. Yeah, but I mean, did they not have reason for like testing said ideas? Maybe they did. Maybe they thought they did. Maybe someone convinced them they did. Maybe someone was like, I've tested this, trust me, it works. Oh yeah, no, I got this. It's great. Let's do it. <laughs> Like, oh boy. Yeah, this yeah. sounds like a ploy to get that emperor out of office. Or How, out of if, if it did, it worked. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And if he was dumb enough to fall for it, it was probably the right call. <laughs> yeah, what was the like adrenaline junkie thing of the 1600s? Like, what was there to do? Ride a horse off a cliff? Probably like messaging, right? Like being a mail carrier. Like, that was like the most adrenaline inducing thing you could do. In, you like, probably got attacked all the time and like you get to go visit places that are new and weird and to which for them you are newer and weird which means they're probably going to try and kill you like that mm. you know <laughs> hmm. yeah true. I don't actually know what the world was like back then yeah I don't know either I haven't done a lot mm. of 1600 study have you done much history not like that kind of history. Uh, I grew up watching a lot of World War II stuff with my dad. Nice. What did you learn about World War II? <sighs> lots of sad stuff. <laughs> uh, lots of... Um, well, okay. Well, one angle, there was a whole lot, of, a whole lot about tanks and uh, big cannons. Like, there was, there was a little, this little cannon race. Was that World War I that I'm thinking of? Where they, no, that was probably World War One, where Germany and I forget who else. They basically there's they were just racing to see who could build the biggest cannon. I remember the biggest, coolest thing I've seen as little like ten year old me is this train mounted like super cannon that they had to build the track in front of them to get it places. Like, it wasn't even, like, that they put it on trans to transport it. That's how it moved. They flattened the world in front of it, railed it, and then it could move. <laughs> oh, wow. Like, it didn't even have tracks on the tank? No. Jeez. No, it, it, was on, it was on, like, train rails, like, and on, on two of them. And they would build them in front of them and take it up behind them so they could move forward. 
That's crazy. Like, how, so the goal was like not to be mobile in this thing. It was to kind of push it to an area, just like set up camp there and just shoot it from there. Yeah, because it had some crazy distance, like crazy huge reach. Now, this was before rockets. That that this was uh, the whole the whole thing was that they were trying to reach farther than the other guy until I, I, I guess the Russians invented rockets. Um, <clears throat> I guess this was World War Two. And that uh, that ended that for cannons, <laughs> right? And they're like, all right, you win. Uh, yeah, no more what? no more trucking through the <laughs> through the woods. I gotta what imagine that stuff was the inspiration for like Metal Gear stuff. Mm, yeah, probably. What were they shooting out of the tanks? Was it just like were they just shooting big grenades or shells, like building sized lugs of steel? Oh, and that like. The idea was like a big chunk of steel would just come down and hit a bunch of people. If that stuff hits stuff fast enough, the kinetic energy is like is more than what explosives can do. Really, like it creates what a small earthquake or something. It 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 moves its momentum and whatnot. Like basically, like I'm uh, the <laughs> the most matured weapons platform based on this ever was a satellite based one that basically dropped big iron javelins from the sky and they would. Do so much more damage than like what regular bombs could ever do, and not be radioactive. Wait, this was not oh, in World in War II. This was a more modern thing. Wow! So a satellite dropped giant metal javelins from the sky that would just stab into the earth. And how does that do more damage than a bomb? I don't get it. Well, it won't do more damage like a nuke, but it would do more damage than like a. Typical TNT esque, whatever based stuff. Because, yeah, but, but how? Like, if you just hit the ground with enough force, it just yeah. like explodes it's the ma- ground. Mass times velocity is energy. Swear, I've, whatever. But the the math works out that like you can get a, obviously a lot of force out of explosives, but the, like there's a, there's a limit to how much you can pack and how much you can move and how fast and then whatnot. Versus this, where it it's falling from orbit, so it's moving so fast that the math works out to be equivalent and surpassing certain loads of explosives. Damn, that's insane. It is nuts. Ah, I I really don't like how much I like weapon platforms, but they are just so fascinating. Like I, I don't <laughs> want to hurt people. I don't want to use these things. That sounds terrible, but it's just so cool. Are you a gun guy? No, I am not. Like. I uh, I don't have firearms. I've never actually fired a gun, but like again, I do like them a lot. Like I I like how they work. I like the science behind them. The AK-47 is an engineering marvel. Like it, but I, no, I don't actually have guns. I'm not a huge fan of the way they are. <laughs> yeah, it is. I've always thought it was pretty cool how it's just like a little controlled explosion in your hand. Basically, it's pretty interesting. And it uses the explosive to. Put it to mechanical energy. It's so smart. <laughs> yeah, it is really smart, actually. I mean, it's kind of like a little car engine in your car in your hand, almost. It and does a like, revolution and explodes. It's it's all cycles, and it's like how much energy makes it. Like, there's amplitude considerations. It's almost a little oscillation. It's this neat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Speaking of wars, um, it's cool that Trump isn't in office anymore, and it's. Uh, <laughs> Good thing that he didn't. Well, did he start some wars? He might have. Anyway, um, he tried to. He tried yeah. his damnedest. Right. Yeah. Um, do you have like a favorite tweet that he ever made? 
Hmm. Um, I do a little find it's kind of funny how his like sad has kind of made it into parlance. Like just <laughs> saying sad period as like a thing. Like I, I initially was a little annoyed by that because I didn't want anything that he was to ever be anything, but I, I'll take that. Okay. I have like, a favorite just, one. I'll read I don't really have you. a tweet. Like I, I hate reading his words. I'll, I'll read you this one and Get it's a, uh, it's the most insane tweet ever. Like, you, I can't believe like anyone wrote this, let alone the president <laughs> of the United States at the time. Was this while he was president? Oh yeah. Oh good. Um, let me try to find it. Uh, oh, here we go. And it, it just reads so much like a shit post. Like, think think about this as like some like kid on a YouTube comment or like some like kid from 4chan or something saying this and not the president of the United States. All right. All right. As I have stated strongly before, and just to reiterate, if Turkey does anything that I, in my great and unmatched wisdom, consider to be off limits, I will totally destroy and obliterate the economy of Turkey. I've done before. They must, with Europe and others, watch over, and then it goes on. But it's just like, in parentheses, he's like, I've done before. <laughs> I've done um, before. What? Yeah. Ah, what a... What a stream of consciousness. Wow. I see yeah, that does that does very read like a like a four chanter like trying to trying to posture but it, oh boy, talking about Turkey and like being a president and saying this. A this is like a person this is like a two year old role playing the president and it's like frightening. Yeah, he's like if they do anything that I consider to be not in in my unmatched wisdom off limits, I will destroy their economy. It's like what are you saying? I am very glad to be done with this, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but anyway, that was my favorite tweet. The day I read that, I was just like, I'm done. This is out of control. <laughs> this is such a shit post. Um, but yeah, my buddy Eric uh, Squanto, he also a Massachusetts. He, uh, he thinks that Trump is just like a god-tier shit poster. He doesn't think anything he says seriously. And, and when he said that and I read that tweet, I was like, maybe he's right. Maybe Trump is a god-tier shit poster. Uh, that that would be a better result. Like, I'll take that reality of him being in cognitive control enough to lay down such incredible, <laughs> like, shit posting. Like, I'll take that. Other th over him saying that and in full seriousness, thinking he's means things, <laughs> thinking he's actually this is for real for him. Oh boy, an unmatched wisdom. Like, come on, guy. <laughs> <laughs> In my great and unmatched wisdom. It's just how I'll start saying everything now. I'm just like, if you, <laughs> in my great and unmatched wisdom, do not come on my podcast, I will take all of your money. Like, <laughs> I've done before. I've done this before. <laughs> to you. <laughs> I um, declare yeah. Turkey owes me all of money. All of its money. Yes, that's how we, President. That's right. Yeah. Like, imagine being the president of Turkey or whatever, reading that and just being like, I've got to check my records, but I'm pretty sure he hasn't done this before. <laughs> just like yeah, asking right. someone this, of me. What? Has this happened before? Yeah, like uh, apparently he pulled out of a deal to make a hotel like a while ago. <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> sure. Do that again. Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sick. Well, man, um, yeah, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, it's been awesome to chat to you again. And... Yeah, hopefully we can chat again at some point. Do you have anything you want to plug? Not in particular, other than if uh, 
people want to learn about FL Studio stuff, I have a whole YouTube channel full of thousands of videos of nothing but FL stuff. And in the future, I hope there will be something that I can plug uh, when I come up with a thing I, I can move forward with. Nice. Well, what do you think the, uh, like, what's the sort of barrier between moving forward on things? It's just having an idea. I have ideas all the time. What I don't want to do is start a thing and then not have it, like, continue. I like, mm. I liked, um, I like my TV shows to not ever end. <laughs> I know that they'd have to, and I know that it's not really actually a good thing to plan for a thing that never ends, but it just feels so good. Mm. And, like, my the viewer track reviewers are, are, are one that I can conceivably keep going forever. We, we, we talked about how, like, it's basically just, like, an endless stream of new stuff forever. And I, I have the how to the how to base is also like it's been harder to keep that up, but it is the easier one to keep up. And I want to come up with something like that, something that if I start now, I can do a fair number of like get pretty far into before I th I feel like I'm out of ideas and not like mm. two. <laughs> yeah, I did a similar thing once. I created um, a series of tracks I was releasing called CSS, uh, which stand up for corrective scene surgery. For at the time, I was like, yeah, releasing singles is the way to go, and thought it was like some really smart idea. But um, I released like uh, I want to say sixteen or seventeen or. No, I think I released like 20 of, or 19. I don't know. I released like some number. And then I was like, oh, I'm going to release like the, and each one like had its own cover and it all told as like a, um, like a comic book. Cool. And then I released parts 24 to 27, bef like without sort of doing the, the numbers 20 or 19 to 24. Like I left those ones out. And then I just like lost steam on the project. And so there's just like this uh, series of tunes sitting out there. It's like part one to 19 and there's just a gap and then part 24 to 27. And I, like, I never want to touch that project again. Like I'm just done with it. And it yeah. makes me feel bad. Yeah, that's but at the same time, well it's, yeah, at the same time, it's like, man, fuck it. It's like, if you get burnt out on a thing, there's no reason to keep going with it. You know, I, I think just like, do stuff that is exciting to you and stuff that you're interested in doing and you know, people can tell that you're having fun with it and people can can tell that like you're enjoying it and then as soon as that stops being the case there's no point in doing it anymore because like not only are you not going to get out of enjoyment out of it but it's likely that a lot of other people are not either right if you're not enjoying it either and that's what i want to avoid i want to i want to not uh do that to a thing and i i pretty much been thinking about it the advice you've given a long time ago as you basically just said i like, do the things you want to do do dope things, just <laughs> do dope stuff, and it's it might be that I just I'm doing new random nonsense every week. It's like this week it's a show about because I, I do have ideas constantly. Like I had this one idea one time of a thing that I absolutely can't just do. I would need this would be production and a half, but I want to like do a track from scratch, basically a joke series where I literally from scratch go to like the computer manufacturers and learn how like the hardware is designed and then go to like the software people and talk about like how they contributed to making like how DAWs work and stuff and literally all the way down into the plugins, instruments, like monitors and speakers until actually to be like mice and stuff input <laughs> to then talk about literally making the track and then talk about like the distribution platforms. I like, just go all the way down and start talking to like <clears throat> Spotify people if I can. Like I'm assuming a lot of things about access here, but that that's like I like that's an idea I had. That'd be I really mean, cool. this would be a good time to do it, right? Because like everyone now is like treating Zoom calls as the norm. So you know, rather than having to um, 
in post quarantine times be like hey mind if i like have a meeting with you they'll be like sure you got to like come to our office or something you know like whereas now it's kind of like that's not a possibility so everything will be done on zoom so you can just do it all from your house right now something like that might be more possible that's true a, a lot of emails to send to a lot of companies yeah that that <laughs> is that and i'm not against and you know above doing that stuff it's just like i don't want to start doing it if i don't if i don't see that there's like a a result that's the one that I want. And most of the case of things I'm trying to come up with now, the result that I want is like the longevity of repeatable content creation. Mm. Otherwise known as the holy grail of content creation. Yeah, <laughs> just do that. Just do it. <laughs> nice. Well, shit, yeah, man. So, um, yeah, I'll, uh, yeah, people should go check out your YouTube channel for that to happen. <laughs> but yeah, man, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. I will I come back pretty much whenever you want. Fuck yeah. I hope you and everyone else listening to this has a fine rest of your day. Yeah. Have a good one. Hey, thanks for listening to the Mr. Bill podcast. These episodes are edited and uploaded by Robert Fumo. You can also support the show, get early access to episodes, and hear bonus content by going to patreon.com forward slash Mr. Bill's tunes and becoming a patron. Uh, please rate and review on iTunes unless you're going to be a little shit about it. And all the links to my various platforms are at MrBillsTunes.com. Thank you. I know what I-